This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Joining us on the phone from the land this time is Chris Hopkinson, who is the only person to have traveled the length of the Chesapeake Bay from Haver to Grace down to Virginia Beach on a stand-up paddleboard. I think the last time we talked to him on the podcast, I said that you were a psycho. And uh, we want to sort of revisit that and see whether that (laughs) held true or not. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks, John. Well, first of all, man, congratulations. I was there in Haver de Grace on the 18th when you took off early in the morning. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get down to Virginia Beach when you rolled in there, you know, a week and a couple, a week and a day later. But what an amazing event. And I just looked at the Oyster Recovery Partnership page and you People should go to baypaddle.org and check it out. You single-handedly have raised $179,119 to help the Bay with planting oysters. And if people want to do the math on that, that's 17,911,900 oysters that are going to be going in the Bay because of your efforts. Wanted to find up and just follow up, and how how was the paddle? Uh, The paddle was amazing. So, I mean, it was extremely challenging. I definitely picked the wrong week to stand up paddle the bay um i mean in a year plus of training and several years of, of paddling the bay i've never seen it where and i know it's happened before but um i've never seen it where it's you know five or six days of 10 to 15 plus knot winds in all directions primarily northeast some west some south you know the temperatures drop pretty significantly in the morning so pretty quickly went from 70 degrees most morning to 50 and and we had two to three foot chop at least three days, probably more. Um, and so those conditions for nine days was was more difficult than I than I expected, and definitely nothing I could have ever trained or prepared for. Well, I know that you changed the route. I know initially you had talked about coming down on the western shore side of the bay, and you were going to you know pull into Baltimore and Annapolis and do little media things in the night. I mean, that was the best laid plans. And very quickly, I know that I was following the route on the baypaddle.org. And there were some people that were like, dude, where are you? You're on the Eastern shore. Did you get lost? What's that? What happened there? So uh, that was the weather that pushed you over to the that Eastern shore? That was the weather. It was definitely the weather. So, I mean, I, I've been tracking weather for far too long now, but, um, you know, I noticed that again, there was going to be heavy winds Northeast for, the first four days and so what that would have meant for me uh, going down the western shore was i would have been paddling on one side the entire time just to keep straight so the wind from the northeast coming across the bay would have blown me or tried to blow me into the shoreline um and in order to avoid that i would have had to paddle literally on my left hand side for hours at a time just to keep straight and so i switched up the route to get some cover from the northeast wind it, it certainly helped with the eastern part of the wind um but the winds were so i mean i think people would think like oh yeah north wind it's at your back and that's certainly true but when it's blowing 10 plus or 15 plus knots and you're getting two to three foot swells you know a stand-up paddleboard is hard to balance on in most conditions and those types of conditions it becomes much more difficult so um i'm I'm really grateful we we switched up the course. I, you know, the western side would have been nearly impossible. We kind of started in Haber de Grace, hugging the western shoreline, and after about three hours, we were like, "Enough of this! We got to get out of here." <laughs> um, 
there was no easy route, and I think that's you know that's what makes the bay so unique, right? You get you, you could have north winds in the morning and west winds in the afternoon. It could start the day at fifty and end at eighty, and you know it's just the way the weather is around here. Well, you didn't have snow. It didn't okay. snow. Okay. I did get I did get hypothermia and sunburn in the same week. So, oh um, my word! What was the total mileage? Do you know? I mean, I know that we we heard two hundred nine and two hundred four, two hundred three. I, I'm I, my watch says two hundred three. Um, so I think that's that's I'm going with that. It's a hell of an accomplishment, man. Um, I mean, was was it as hard? I mean, I know you trained for this, and having never done it before, was it everything you thought as far as difficulty, or was it more? Uh, did you get uh, so to day I, three yeah. and go, "What the hell am I doing"? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you after the first day, the first day was the hardest coming out of Haver degrees. I ended up in Rock Hall. So I down, went down and across the bay. We had, that was a day we had 15 plus knot winds pretty consistently, three foot swells pretty consistently. Um, and of course they were doing artillery practice at, off of Aberdeen. So the <laughs> patrol boats are out there you know you're hearing explosions in the background the patrol boats are like get out of here um so i finished that day and told my wife i might be in over my head this might there might be a good reason why this has not been done before and i just experienced it (laughs) oh my word and on a paddleboard you're not able to get out of the artillery fire really quickly either no it's not not like you put the throttle down and go yeah no and then the paddleboard so i'm on a 14 foot uh, 26 inch wide board and it has a little bit of volume to it meaning i sit you know uh, probably six six to eight inches off the water just based on how the board's built and that means it's really meant for like you know kind of it's supposed to keep the board from going under the water in waves because that will just drag the board down but when you're getting side wind like east wind northeast wind west wind it, it's like a canoe with nobody in the front and you're paddling the back. Like the board just goes whichever direction the wind is. And so, be, and you can't steer it. There's no rudder. Um, so it becomes a real big challenge in, in heavy winds. Wow. What was your biggest challenge on the whole route? I mean, was it the wind? I know you said the wind and chop and. It was definitely the wind. Um, it's just so, it, it just, you know, I had to, so we tactically had to, really think strategically each day so once we switched up the route and even if we had stayed on the western shore i think i kind of learned this that you know we were we weren't sure we had an idea every day where we wanted to go but we we usually had two or three destinations and and they were based on kind of distance and how we felt but each day we really had to end in a location that was favorable to start the next day based on the next day's conditions so if we had a northeast wind the day we started but it looked like it was going to be the wet, a west wind the next day then i had to be in a place that was going to be provide me some protection from the west wind or east wind or wherever it was coming from so it was just much more tactical than than i expected so there was a lot of preparation i, I was looking at wind finder 10 times a day i probably spent okay. an hour each day on wind finder just what direction, what speed, at what time, and where will I be? And and even shift in mid-route, like just, you know, because the wind would shift during the day. Um, here's where I am right now. I need to get over to here. Uh, where is the wind coming from? Is it going to shift? Um, and then dealing with the tides. I mean, I was paddling seven hours a day. I would try to start at high tide so I could take the current out. But, you know, 
it, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes high tide was at like five in the morning and I didn't want to be out there dark. Um, so inevitably, inevitably I'd be dealing with, you know, going with the current and then against the current later in the day, which, you know, at that point you're tired. And now all of a sudden it's like, it's like being at the airport and you're walking on that conveyor belt and then all of a sudden you get off of it. It's right. Like, right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you keep, you've mentioned we a couple of times now you did not do this totally solely. I mean, it's not like you put in at Havre de Grace and uh, we never saw you again until you got to Virginia beach. Um, you had a, a kayaker with you along the way, right? I did. Brian Gomes kayaked the whole, pretty much the whole thing um, with me the entire, uh, three other times, uh, Chris Norman joined me from Capital South. His mom actually joined me oh, from Norman for 10 miles. And then uh, Milford Marchand, who's a friend of mine, orthopedic surgeon, he actually joined three days um, paddling. He cut my knee up. There you go. Actually, actually, you go. I, actually, I did the cutting up. He's the one that fixed it up. So it <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should clarify that as well there. There's got to be no better way to see the bay than eight inches off of it, I would think. Um, and, is, and I, I was – and yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess you're, you know, you're in a, in a week and you're on a, on a mission, but it's just got to be amazing to be able to see what beauty the Bay has. And certainly with what you're raising money for, it really brings you close to it. So it, it was unbelievable, be, way beyond my expectations. And I often felt and still feel like incredibly grateful to have had the opportunity to do this for exactly the reasons you said. So a, I saw the entire bay, which most people never do, and I had never done, obviously. I mean, I think, like most of us, I've never really been – I'd only been to Haver de Grace because I went up there to train while I was paddling and never really been south of probably St. Michael's. Um, so to see the entire bay was amazing, and then to see it in the way that I did, I mean, most you know boats, ships, sailboats, whatever – they're kind of going up the middle of the bay or at least in deeper water. And, and I was most of the time I was 50 to a hundred yards off the shoreline. And, you know, we were seeing literally two eagles a day. Like it became like, Oh, another eagle. Great. Like cool. And then I just saw places, you know, the Honga river was one of my favorite places. Maybe I've ever been Taylor's Island, South of Taylor's Island. There's a place called tar Bay. There's a little place called fishing Creek. Crotcheron, which is we actually stayed there at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, Karen Noonan Center, like that. Those days, uh, I I I tried to remain present each day and take in like this is an unbelievable experience. I have GoPros on me capturing it all. I mean, I've even reached out to the Maryland Department of Tourism and said, hey, look, I have like everybody should know how spectacular the entire bay is, and I saw it and I filmed it and. I want to tell everybody about it. Um, it was it was amazing. I can't wait to go. I'll definitely do some of the days again just for fun, just to experience um, you know those parts of the bay and, and even you know Cape Charles and and some of the spots just past Crisfield and Tangier were just amazing. You know, it's funny. I was, as I was following you online, I'm like looking, going. Okay, what state is he in? I, I don't recognize any of these names. Like, you know, and I'm like, wow. And then it's like, and then you, you know, you Google it and you bring in Google Maps and you figure out exactly where it is. And I mean, there were some really little neat nooks and crannies on the lower eastern shore that you pulled into. I mean, like, I felt like an explorer. Like, these were just untouched areas. And in some cases, they probably haven't been touched in 50 or so years. I mean, back in when the seafood industry was booming, and there were watermen, you know, hundreds of them, Chrisfield and Tangier and some of those areas, um, the Honga River and 
Taylor's Island, I'm sure were booming areas. Now they're not. And it just feels, it's so pristine down there. There's very little development. There's very little homes. It's just like pure nature. And you really see, and, and I really got to experience like the beauty of the bay firsthand. So, I mean, I remember stopping one day, just saw fishing creep at the north end of the Honga and just like I texted my wife and just said, I'm having so much fun right now. And and I would this was like day four and I was exhausted and sunburned and everything else and it was just spectacular. Well let's let's talk about the challenge. I mean the challenges. You you've mentioned you've had sunburn and you've had windburn and, and everything else. And you did pull in every night. Uh, hopefully to get a good night's sleep. But I, I know you had, you know, some medical teams come down there. What was that all about? I mean, when you when you pulled in, I mean, what was your routine when you got on shore again at the end of the day? Yeah, so that it just that was part of it. I mean, it just ne- nothing ever stopped. So, um, I mean, the paddling, I, I really took the recovery and the rest and everything else pretty seriously. I mean, I'm 46 years old. So doing essentially a marathon, you know, seven hours of paddleboarding every day for nine days is going to take a toll. So, um, you know, I had my meal plans laid out. I had recovery planned out. I had all-star wellness came down twice and did IV therapy for me. Um, I had a physical therapist, uh, Brenda Schaefer from Body Reset, who came down to dry needling twice on me because my knees are just they were swelling up and my ankles are swelling up and my legs really took the brunt of all this from standing and sure. from, from balancing all day long. I mean, I used a Theragun, I had voodoo bands. I mean, I was just doing everything to get myself ready each and every day. And that would often take, you know, I'd finish kind of decompress for 20 or 30 minutes wherever I landed and then probably spent an hour and a half recovering. And then the next day, kind of an hour and a half, prepping and getting ready, whether it was meal or stretching or warming up or, or whatever it might be sleeping. I wish it was hard to, it was hard to come down. Like I, it was hard for my body, I think to relax. Like I'd get in bed and still be kind of wired. So I probably got five or six hours of sleep a night just because it was hard to actually fall asleep. Well, that's the physical stuff. I mean, how, how were you mentally when you got out of, out of, out of the, off the water every day? I mean, and, or at the end of the trip, I mean, is that, I so to be honest, like I got so many text messages, so many social media posts, and heard from so many people, like hundreds a day, uh, about how much fun they were having following this, and how excited they were for me, and how much they appreciated everything I was doing. So, like the mental part, I leaned really heavily on all the support from our community. There's no way I could have done it without it. Like if I was just going out there to paddle the bay for nine days for no specific reason it would have been really easy to quit um you know i think at at one point day day seven i had a really bad day it was the only day that i pulled myself off the water and it was the only day we did not get to our destination we were about three miles short and it was because we were dealing with really bad winds uh heavy swells and we were going like under two and a half miles an hour so which normally would be around four and so it took me 17 hours or excuse me it took us uh almost eight hours to go 17 miles and it was just it was just beat a beating and you know i got in the car and everyone was saying look you did a great job you did everything you could and a couple people called and they said you you can't you would not believe how much how much people are cheering for you up here and so i just said to my wife like 
I don't know what's going to happen the next few days. I got 50 miles to go, but there's no way I'm letting anybody down here. So, you know, tomorrow morning, drop me off at 7 a.m. I don't want anybody around, and I want to just crank out as much as we can because we, we got to get this done. So the the community, mentally, the community pushed me through. I don't, And that's what's kind of hard to come down off of now is I'm like, well, like, what, what am I going to do now? Like, anything else just feels like a singular event. This felt like such a team event to me, even though it was me out there paddling. Right. It's really hard to explain what all the support meant to me when I was out there. It meant everything. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, now, I have never been on a paddleboard myself, which is probably a good thing. But for <laughs> those that have not done this, okay, I understand that it is a fairly easy craft to keep upright. And once you get the hang of it, falling in is not necessary. I mean, okay, not paddling the bay, but just paddling in Back Creek or something like that is not, you don't necessarily expect to fall into the water. I mean, yes, yes, it can happen. But I mean, is this a thing where you're constantly shifting your balance back and forth between your right and left leg as you're going forward to keep? Yes, but it's different. So like most of the boards you'd see recreationally are are probably 10 to 12 feet long and they might be 30 to 34 inches wide. So, and they're flat bottom. So it's pretty easy to keep your balance. I would say paddle boarding is easier than riding a bike for sure. Um, but the board that I was on is more of a racing board. It's 14 feet long. It's 26 inches wide and it does have a bit of a hole. So it's kind of V shaped on the bottom and it's built for speed. And so when you're standing on it, you don't stand flat. You're, you're, you're bouncing side to side. Um, and you can use that leverage, like, you know, kind of leaning one side, left or right, to help steer. Um, so the board that I was on is is a it's harder to balance on, but it will go faster when you're moving. And so that's kind of what I needed, right? And I was trying to go as fast as I could possibly go so that I wasn't out on the water for, you know, 10 hours a day. Great. Well, I mean, again, $179,119 for oysters. That's that's even a lot at the chart house if you got to go eat oysters. uh, (laughs) I'm thinking. But, you know, we've got 2,088,100 oysters to go to bring you up to this goal. And you are still collecting money for this. And this does go directly to the Oyster Recovery Partnership. And I do encourage anybody listening to go to baypaddle.org. There is a big donate button right there on the front page. But do that, of course. But obviously, go take a look at the blog that you guys kept up as far as everything that you did every single day. It's just an amazing adventure to follow from here. Uh, Snug safely in my nice warm house as you're (laughs) getting... (laughs) Beat to hell on on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, I loved Brian's videos that you guys did, and uh, I mean, at one point, and I think it's probably on your day seven when you said, I mean, you know, you you had the uh, zinc oxide all over the face, and and it just looked like you were two steps away from defeated. It, 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 honestly, it did. It was just like, okay, we just got to do the video, and to be you know fifty or sixty miles away and just push through that. Uh, is is absolutely incredible. Chris Hopkins, you had nine days on the bay. Nine days, is that right? Eight days? Nine days. Nine, nine days. days on the bay. What, do you have a favorite memory, either from the beginning or to the end of this? Yes. So I'll, I'll add a couple things. So the the day, I can't remember now which day it was, but I think it was day five, and we came out of Taylor's Island, which is just south of the Chop Tank, and we ended up 
in crotch around. It was a 26 mile day. That was the day that, you know, uh, I was really hugging the shoreline, which is very shallow area. And we went into fishing Creek and the Honga river and, you know, saw some oyster farms. And, you know, that was the day that I texted my wife and said, I'm having so much fun. Like I just appreciated the beauty of the Bay and the opportunity that I had to experience it. So, um, I mean, I tried to do that every day. Some days it was harder than others because you're just kind of fighting to get through. But that was one of those days where it was like, man, is this place spectacular. And we are so fortunate to have it. And, you know, the whole reason that I wanted to do this paddle was to make sure that, you know, it, it is appreciated now and for, for future generations. And so, we, you know, we're close to 180 on the goal, 200. We're, we're not done. And I won't be ever done raising money for oyster recovery um, you know, we have some events coming up, uh, salt life's coming with out with a t-shirt, all the proceeds, which is actually fairly substantial. Um, will go to oyster recovery partnership. There's a documentary film coming out on the paddle. There was a filmmaker following me. Um, and then I'm planning on turning one of the days, at least one of the days into an annual race. And that will also benefit oyster recovery partnership. So, you know, paddling the bay, that, that mission is over. Well, I'll never be done, you know, supporting OSHA recovery and doing whatever I can and we can to support the bay. Well, it sounds like that is the start of a bit larger effort. It is the start. That, yep. you, that you've got going there. Um, do, would you do it again? I, I, as long as my wife's not listening, yes, <laughs> I probably will do it again. Um I'll have to figure out a different way to do it because it took a lot of logistics, like boards. I had 20 support boats, just two per day in different areas. And I had like one big boat kind of following us the whole way in case we needed accommodations or infirmary or whatever it might be. Um, I, I'll probably try to do the Western Shore, but maybe it would be something where I, you know, kind of do like two days this week and then two days another week and then right. and just kind of do it in stages rather than nine straight days. What was it like pulling into Virginia Beach? Uh, it was amazing. So that was the funny part. So we, you know, we were down there near near Cape Charles, and we went around uh, Fisherman's Inlet, I think it's called, in the Atlantic Ocean. And of course, we'd seen a bunch of eagles, but you know, and, and crabs and everything else in the water and fish, but nothing like. No one was like, no shark, no dolphins. And folks said, hey, look, there's been dolphin sightings as north as the Severn River and sharks. And so I thought, well, that would be kind of cool. And then, sure enough, you know. I'm two miles, not even two miles, probably a mile and a half, and three dolphins breach out of the water and then go right under my board and then breach on the other side of it. Oh, my word. Uh, and I, it was like, okay, like I, I felt like that was like God's way of saying job well done, right? Like, um, And it was filmed. So it was just like so such a spectacular way to end. Um, that, that almost felt more – that, I appreciated that more than actually just falling into the Atlantic, seeing those dolphins and getting that close and, and having them jump out of the water. was It was amazing. And what about the hug from the family? Uh, that was amazing, too. You know, no one really wanted to get too close to me. I smelled like the bay for about a week afterwards. <laughs> so. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. So, okay, hug you, hug your dad. Okay, get away from me. Yeah, get away. Get away. <laughs> Glad you're back. Glad you're back. Yep. Chris Hopkins, and what a monumental effort, 203 miles from Haver to Grace down to Virginia Beach on a stand-up paddleboard with a hull. I didn't realize it wasn't a flat-bottom boat or a flat-bottom board. Raising $180,000 for the Oyster Recovery Partnership with a little bit more to go. So please go to baypaddle.org. Check out Chris's journey. Check out 
all they're doing for the Oyster Recovery Partnership. And please donate. Uh, keep your eye out for different events that are going on around here. And when the merch comes available from Salt Life, uh, definitely pick it up because it does go to a great cause. And Chris, you know, kudos to you and congratulations and thank you for doing what you're doing and bringing attention to a huge need that we have here in the Chesapeake Bay. No, my pleasure. And actually, we do have, for folks who are interested, on the Bay Paddle site, we actually have Bay Paddle trucker hats and T-shirts kind of commemorating the event and with our sponsors on it. So if folks want to buy, like, Bay Paddle gear to show their support, they can do that. And proceeds from the Bay Paddle gear also go back to ORP. Absolutely, and everybody should do it. Chris, I'm going to let you go. You are all de-stunked now, right? You don't still smell like the Bay. I, yeah, I got rid of the smell. I know, yeah. <laughs> it was nine days of paddling and about nine days to get rid of the smell. Chris, thank you very much for all you've done. Thanks, I look forward to seeing more of the great stuff you got coming up. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thanks, John. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionannapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.